0: Welcome back to another episode of the Rankable Podcast. My name is Garrett Sussman of iPoll Rank. And each week I talk to folks in the SEO world. But this is this is a special episode because I'm talking to um a, a doctor, a doctor in the world of NLP. I'm joined by Rachel Tabman. Now, Rachel is a language technology educator. She writes for her blog, Making Noise and Hearing Things. She's got a lot of entrepreneurial pursuits in the works. Um and basically, she, you know, her mission is to make NLP boring. She had that's kind of like the catchphrase. She has a PhD in computational linguistics, focus on computational sociolinguistics. I mean, you're a data scientist, you're you're an advocate at Kaggle, you do everything. You got and you got you got an adorable little dog named Benson who might be in the background. You um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today, Rachel. How you doing? Good. Okay. Okay. Yourself? I'm doing really well. And also, so you stream live on YouTube like every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10. You talk all NLP, right? What do you do in I those do. uh in those sessions?
1: Yeah, I should say that's 10 a.m. Eastern time because
0: there's <laughs> a lot I of time. Call all over. Yeah. Um,
1: so uh on Tuesdays, I'll do a deep dive into something really just going in depth and then Thursdays it's more breadth and um, I call it the coffee chat where we just talk about the week in review. So um, this week is going to be a lot of, so we're recording this on a Wednesday, so I'm talking about what's going to happen on Thursday. Um, A lot of research to cover because this week was NACL, which is the North American Association of Computational Linguistics. Um, So a lot of linguistics research came out, computational linguistics, NLP research. Uh, And also this is the week that Hugging Hugging Face released their Bloom multilingual model. Um, Some really interesting stuff there. They developed a new license to release it under. So yeah, so Thursdays we talk about everything that I think is relevant and cool. And then on Tuesday, as we go really deep into something. So um, last Tuesday, we did a um, code review of some code I wrote eight years ago um, that uh, was not good code.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know we're always our worst critics, but it's like, yeah, when you learn so much, you go back and you're like, yeah, I could have completely reframed that and done it differently. And yes, I mean, refactoring code is, is so many developers' favorite pastime, but I'm excited to talk about, so this overlap in NLP, Google as a, you know, service, you know, Mm -hmm. search engine is fascinating. It's a big black box, but they give us peeks under it, um, under the hood. And so a few years ago, they they introduced BERT. And so we want to talk about kind of language models, how they might affect, for instance, the tool like how google provides the best results so can you tell me a little bit about how you how you think about bert mm-hmm. and more specifically how it applies to google like what research you've done
1: yeah, definitely. So I think the first thing to know about language models is sort of their history and what they used to be. And honestly, why well, I think they still make sense. Um, and they are part of the NLP pipeline, right? So you have raw text or, you know, speech or signed data, language data, as, excuse me, as input. And then as output, you have something useful, right? So, um, you know, Maybe a ranking of documents very relevant to search. Maybe it's um, you're extracting named entities. Give me just a second. I've got A little bit of a frog in my throat. Yeah.
0: Let's see. If I'm going to have a little little coffee as well.
1: <clears throat> right. Um. And language models are part of that pipeline. And historically, they have been based on just counts of words. Uh, and the specific thing they do is um, given a input of text they will uh, tell you based on a corpus how likely that text is, right? So this is useful in things like in automatic speech recognition, if I have two candidate outputs, right? So um, let's say one is recognize speech, two words, and the other is wreck a nice beach, four words, which of those is more likely in the context of the document? Um, And it would help you select the the more likely of the, the two outputs. Uh, and that would be trained based on, you know, corpus linguistics techniques, counting stuff, statistical languages, uh, statistical language models. And then uh, BERT came out in uh, the Attention also is All You Need paper came out in 2017. I want to say 2019 was the publication date, but it was definitely around before then. Uh, And BERT is, I mean, obviously it's based on a completely different way of doing the math. So it's based on a deep learning model and specifically something called a transformer. Um, So if you're familiar with things like recurrent neural networks, uh, it's not that, (laughs) it's a completely different architecture. So you'd have like, Uh, convolutional neural networks, recurrent neural networks, and then transformers. It's a different family of architectures. Um, And what's special about it is it pays attention to everything without really considering how close the things occur, right? Mm. So in a recurrent neural network, you step over a sequence um, and things that are closer in the sequence get handled as being more influential. Whereas in a transformer, you look at everything uh, and then you design, you you assign weights, basically attention to, to each of the items based on, you know, what it is that you're doing. That's a very, very simple example. Um, and the reason that you would use a transformer and the reason why these were exciting is you can parallelize that much better, right? So recurrent neural network, you need to have done each time step in sequence. So there is a bottleneck there in terms of... Um, Not necessarily clock time, but there's a bottleneck in terms of compute time. You have to go through the sequence. Whereas in a transformer, you're looking at everything, so you can completely parallelize that. Each step does not depend on the previous step. Um, So transformers, much, much bigger. One of the very first major applications of Transformers were these language models. And BERT is you know, probably well-known, one of the big ones. There have been a lot since. So um, GPT-3, GPT-4, uh, various multimodal models like DALI that include um, you know, images as well, um, T5, a bunch of them. And they're just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and having more and more and more parameters. But the thing about BERT is that Google folded it into search. Um, which I'm sure is not news to any of y'all.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and so what's the implication of that? Like, why why does that make search better? And what, what do you anticipate going forward? Like, what are some ways that you see that in, in Google? Mm, great question. So um, I talked about sort of the
1: architecture and why this is exciting and new. Um, what I didn't talk about is the specific tasks that it's trained on and what the ramifications are for that of the way that language data is handled and you know produced basically. Um so BERT works on a if you ever played like Mad Libs,
0: sure, <laughs> right? yeah.
1: um, where you have, you know, a bunch of text and one of the words has been removed and you have to put the word back in there. Um, and in Mad Libs, you don't have context of the word. You just know something about what it's supposed to be. Bert has the context and is trying to get the right word in there. So it's trying to replace the Mad Lib word. Um, and that's how it's trained. Right. So you have a bunch of uh, of texts. Um, I don't think we actually know precisely all the texts that were used to train BERT. And similarly with GPT-3, I don't think we know specifically what texts were used to train it, um, but certainly a lot of web data. Um, and the uh, sort of hiding a word and then revealing it means that you get a lot of weight in the context that it occurs. So a simple example would here would be something like, um, entity, not entity, but like sense disambiguation. So something Mm. like I'm going to the bank. So if the rest of the discussion is about all the chores I'm doing, and I'm talking about how I'm living in the city, probably bank there is financial institution. Mm. But if I'm camping and, you know, we're by a river and I say, Hey, I'm going to the bank. I mean of the river so those are two words with the same surface form that have different senses um, and the benefit of using a contextual language model like this rather than just sort of using a bag of words where you don't think about context you just count raw things is that you know more about the context so given BERT there would in theory be more disambiguation there and in search results the um you know in theory again <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh Uh, the context should make the search results more relevant. Um, There's something else there that is also relevant though, I'm just gonna say relevant a lot. Um, And that is that, you know, Google autocomplete search results. I'm sure you know. uh, And also a lot of people use voice input for search results. Now I do not know for a fact that people are using um, BERT specifically in say the Gboard uh, voice input But what I have noticed using uh, voice input on on various devices is a shift in that voice input where the the output, the text output, is less likely given the phonetics. So given just the speech sound, it's less Mm -hmm. likely, but given sort of the corpus of the Internet, it is more likely. So I mentioned that that was one of the original uses of main language models. Um, I'm getting the impression as a user, and again, this is just my intuition as a language technologist, um, that those language models are being upweighted uh in other places as well. So you're going to end up with, um, I would imagine, a higher degree of centralization and a higher degree of conformity, even if the desires behind <laughs> putting that text in uh, is not necessarily becoming, becoming more congruent, if that makes sense. Um, So there's going to be a little bit of a, I would expect to see sort of like a funneling effect where more diverse underlying things
0: are shifted to be less diverse. So I'm curious of what you think like the search results end of game of that is because you think about from an SEO perspective to your point in the evolution of these algorithms is like we used to think specifically about keywords as an SEO, like, yeah. And we, we even learned that when we search, right? Like we just put in, I need to add, I need to like look up this specific word, but now with these more complex algorithms like BERT and the voice search, you can linguistically, you can have a conversational search and get closer to what you're looking for, but you're saying the algorithm isn't necessarily 100%. Like you're going to see, still see this kind of certain type of content will appear because it's like trying its best.
1: Yeah, basically that's, um, there's def, there's more so moving from something that's more rule based like keywords right uh, yeah. you know AOL back in the day <laughs> right uh, to something that's more machine learning based you're going to get a lot more fuzziness so you're in a machine learning setting you're always going to get a guess whether or not it's a helpful guess or a relevant guess is is secondary um and yeah so the big the big benefit to the user should be that you can use more naturalistic language um assuming that naturalistic language is like the language that BERT was trained on originally. Now, BERT was trained by Google. Yeah. Google has access to, uh, perhaps obviously, a lot of data yeah. <laughs> and yeah. also knows how it's being used in search ranking, um, which is information they're not super forthcoming with, is my understanding, as someone who doesn't wear a Guinness.
0: Right. Um, but, but it's ongoing change, right? Like, mm-hmm. cause obviously the context of everything is always changing. I think you wrote yes. about, you know, in terms of like youth culture and using a word like lit or based, like has a different meaning now than yes. it might have a few years ago.
1: Yeah. And that is one potential thing about BERT, um, is that it was trained at a point in time, was data that it was available at that point in time. Um, so I think it's, uh, In the tokenization, right? So the the taking of the the text and bringing it into words, I'm not entirely sure how much of this is gonna be review for y'all. Not every year has a token, right? Uh, And it includes a lot of future years because they were less represented in the data. Um, So over time, BERT as a specific language model trained on a specific data set, the base model that they told us about in the paper is going to be less and less relevant. That said, you can take these models and you can do what's called fine tuning. So you add additional data that's relevant to your use case. You Mm -hmm. may add um, an additional task for it to do to get rewarded when it does well and like sort of pushed away from when it does badly. Um, And that fine tuning data can be used to sort of update the the model. I believe Bert uses word piece, which I believe you can add vocabulary words to. I'd have to triple check that to make sure. But I'm pretty sure, sure that's that's my intuition and uh, in what I remember. So there are ways to mitigate that. Um, and also, you know, Google's been continuing to train different large language models. Um, I say Google, like, I know DeepMind's been working on it as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, that is definitely something to think about. There may be a little bit of, you know, calcification of the 2016 internet <laughs> in search results, um, which, yeah, I don't know how you get around that. And I'm sure that you know people who who are working in, in search engines and building the search engines are thinking about that, um, because of course, if you don't want to only consider news that it happened in 2016 and before uh, in your in your ranking, um, but yeah, definitely something that that could be uh, a concern.
0: And, and so I love, I mean, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, it's a language technology as an industry is just, you know, mm-hmm. it's almost like Moore's law, right. Cause it's like, it's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, growing and, and getting and accelerating, you focus a lot on new language technology yeah. Um, and you see all these things come out. Mm-hmm. How do you anticipate if you had to put your little, you know, prediction, clairvoyance cap on the future of search when it comes to language tech, like what direction could you anticipate it going in?
1: Great question. So I think there's a couple things there. So one is I'm I'm imagining we'll continue to see this trend away from, you know, tagging, for example, and hashtags, and more towards looking at the content of the post. So I, um, this is just scuttlebutt, but <laughs> someone recently told me that uh, Instagram is sort of downweighting the, the hashtags and upweighting the text of the post uh, mm-hmm. in their sort of recommendation uh, and, and top post ranking. And I don't know that that is true, but that's what I've been told. Um, verification needed. Uh, so yes, moving more towards natural language data. The other thing that I would definitely be on a lookout for, and this is more just sort of in general affecting all technology, but particularly things that are based on machine learning, is there's been a lot of legislation coming through. So, you Mm. know, the Digital Services Act, the Digital Marketing Act, the both just passed in the EU. Um, There's a couple of bills in, in Congress in the US, and it's very much an ongoing discussion about what technologies should we be able to apply in which situations and you know why and when, et cetera. So definitely um I expect in the next five years the allowable uses of language technology to be reduced significantly from legislation. Um, I don't know necessarily what that's gonna look like. Uh, I think that language technology is probably gonna be less impacted than computer vision technology. So I imagine vision-based searches are gonna be a little bit more impacted than text-based searches. Um, People being able to remove themselves from searches. So obviously there was that, that a recent court case in Argentina about the right to be forgotten. Uh, but also, I would say there's been sort of a general move towards data privacy and the ability to control and remove your data, certainly in the U, a little bit in the US, um, which I think will also affect you know what information is available. And then the third thing is, um, if you've not worked with with one of these large language models, like GPT 3 etc. cetera, um, the way that you interact with them If you are not using them as part of a pipeline with other things appended to them, uh, and in my professional opinion, that's where they work best, right, is when they're fulfilling the role that language models were designed for and you have different, um, you know, uh, (laughs) seatbelts, let's call them, to uh, protect users from from what the model chooses to do, Um, is this task called prompt engineering. Are you familiar with this? I'm sure you've seen it. Discussed Yeah. No, no? Oh, okay. No. So, the way that you would work with a model like GPT 3 or 4 or BERT, if you are not using it as a part of a pipeline, is um, they generate text, right? So, you right. would give them some prompt text and then they would generate output. And right. the task of prompt engineering is to write. The input that gives you the output you want. So, a common example of a type of prompt engineering is if I want uh, to answer a question, right? So, if I'm building a question answering system, I'll have an example question, right? Uh, And I'll format it with like Q, uh, capital Q colon space text of the question, next line, uh, capital A colon space text of the answer. add a blank line Q colon, text the question, A colon, and then have the model auto complete from there. So it's almost, mm, I guess it's almost the reverse of SEO kind of, it's it's sort of like a weird sister.
0: (laughs) You know, it's, it's actually interesting. And it comes up in the world of SEO a lot because Mm -hmm. there's, there is this debate right now about natural language generation and using Mm -hmm. it to produce content for the purpose of surfacing on search and whether that's, either ethically or just, you know, if it's just problematic in general, because is the quality there to the extent where it's just like gobbledygook? Like, you know, there's, to your point about GPT-3 and and these new engines that are coming out, they're very capable, but yet they, you know, in the SEO world, people are like, well, we're not there yet. You can't depend on it. What do you think?
1: (laughs) Uh, Absolutely do not depend on it. In fact, my, um, My professional advice is to never serve or show the raw output of a language model to users in any capacity. Um, And the reason for this is that it's it's been trained to fill in the blank, right? It's been trained on the internet. It's really good. All the this sort of suite of models are really good at producing language that looks like it was written by a human, right? It has the the form of human language, assuming that human language is English, <laughs> or maybe one <laughs> of a small handful of other languages. Um, so there's a you know there's an equity question about like who gets access to these extremely expensive, extremely energy intensive models. Um, but the text that is output is not what we would call grounded, uh, in NLP. So it will produce things that look correct that are not, and it is guaranteed to have this behavior because it is not guaranteed not to have it, if that makes sense. And it wasn't trained to do this, right? It's, it's completely unreasonable and unfair to expect a system to do this. But I think a lot of people have been, um, you know, bamboozled, perhaps, uh, you know, humans really want to see meaning in things, and we really want to believe that when we see language, it's coming from something like us. Um, so I'm thinking about here the the Google engineer who, I should be clear, in his capacity as a yeah. priest, believed that he um, claimed that he believed that GPT-3 was sentient, which I think is... Um,
0: um, wrong <laughs> 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 to, to, to be very blunt about it. It's like just he wrong. basically got tricked by the, by a computer.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Because it produces human looking language. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, Janelle, um, whose last name is, uh, escaping me right now, but who does a lot of sort of art projects around GPT-3, uh, been really something that was GPT-3 proves that it's a squirrel, um, in the same sort of like prompt and response, uh, way of, of interacting with this model. So, uh, never do that. Um, and I think there's also a larger societal question of, um, how much trust does society have left in the utility of the internet as a place to find information? Um, and this is something I think about a lot as a language technologist, because I want to build things that make people's lives better, which means they need to trust it enough to use it. And I think we are, degrading that trust by doing things like releasing, you know, language models and just letting people produce text with them. And, you know, there's the flip side, you know, that maybe releasing these models lets people um, understand their drawbacks and limitations and deficits and, you know, inoculates, you might say, um, our population against falling for them basically. Um, But, you know, even people who have a pretty strong technological background um, can get, you know, suckered in
0: <laughs> oh yeah say. no I can think of it like a parallel that like I used to work in the local space and the whole thing with online reviews is a perfect example of that yeah, where absolutely. you have all these fake reviews and so you know the review is almost an economy where it's like you know in the world of business if you have good reviews you're going to get more business but mm-hmm. if you don't trust the reviews to be genuine or real mm-hmm. then you you lose that completely and then reviews have zero value absolutely
1: Or, you know, you're searching for a specific type of object, you get a thousand results that are like top five ranked and you link, you click on them and you're like, this is an Amazon, uh, affiliate link farm. That's all this is. Uh, And if the entire top two pages of search results are that people are just going to stop doing it, right. They're just going to stop having trust in the system and not have belief that it's safeguarding them and that, you know, we have their best interests at heart, which I genuinely believe most engineers do, right? Like, I don't yeah. think you you get into the field usually because
0: you want to build bad stuff and destroy the world. I hope. That's my belief. That's um, but no, to yeah. that point, it's like the one the one last topic I'd, I'd love to touch on, too, mm. like, kind of relevant, is the ethics of all of this. Um, mm. One thing that's been I've seen um, in the world of SEO as well, too, in terms of the results, is almost... Um, biased results based on the query that you put in so for instance um the example i saw was in gendered in in romance languages where mm-hmm. and i think you've touched on this uh, mm-hmm. um in the past where there's like a male gendered word and so the results are all male related results and so that's not like ethical it's not like balanced it's not a fair mm-hmm. type of result and that's a problem with linguistic technology right
1: yeah definitely um and it's um particularly a problem in machine translation I would say um, or it's not just a problem there but that is where it's particularly easy to notice um, because if you translate from a machine from a machine from a language that um, does not have grammatical gender or let's say they have three grammatical genders including the neuter so German would be an example there I'm pretty sure Turkish also has a neuter and then you, translate it back into a language with uh, only two grammatical genders, um, what comes out, right? Or um, do you get a gendered pronoun where previously there was like a, a neutral, gender neutral pronoun? Um And in doing so, are you replicating stereotypes and biases? Um, and the answer is yes. And in general, oh, there was a paper at um, at NACL actually, and I can dig up the citation if you're interested. Um, yeah. But basically what they found was that Um, bigger models have, you know, more stereotypes, particularly when they make mistakes. Um, And like I mentioned before, any machine learning method is guessing it's going to be guaranteed to make mistakes. If anyone says, you know, this machine learning model is hundred percent accurate back away, keep your hand on your wallet. They are (laughs) lying to you. (laughs) They are misinforming you about their system capabilities. Um, So, yeah. And then, and then of course, you know, if you have Internet data being folded into the machine learning models that are then being folded into the thing you use to search the internet data. It's uh, self reinforcing. So, yeah, very important (laughs) to think about. You know, it, it, this like. is
0: this is so fun to talk. And I I I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your time because this is just fascinating stuff. And it's and it's mm. cool to hear, you know, like a technologist really talk through mm. these linguistic problems that we see in the SEO world constantly. Now I realize you are, you know, not necessarily in, in like SEO in the day-to-day, but I still want you to join us and do this rapid fire ranking. So yes. are you ready for some rapid fire rankings about NLP? I'm ready. <laughs> Okay, so first off, um, completely unrelated. You, you, what are you are a coffee drinker? You're obsessed with coffee. Um, what are your top three coffees?
1: Uh, so number one, uh, cortado, um, absolutely designed to be drunk right away, which is how I like my coffee <laughs> immediately. Um, yeah. And then you know I like a, a lungo or you know a doppio, uh, and then uh, a Bonbon, bon, which is like a espresso with sweet condensed milk in it, <laughs> basically equal quantities.
0: That sounds really good right now. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I'm doing my research. I'm going to go get that after this. You said. Um, you should. What is your number one NLP language model that you're just a fan of?
1: That is a great question. Um, I think I'm actually going to say it's more of a class of doing them and that's I like the statistical language models. I think that they are very transparent and I think that they work well for situations where you don't have a lot of data, which is most of the time in
0: NLP. I love it. Okay. So you just went to NACL. What was your biggest takeaway from that experience?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I went in the way that you
0: do it like online, Virtually but yeah, and yeah. you hear stuff. Um,
1: yeah. Great question. Um, There's a lot going on. Oh, so that, that me looking up is me thinking really hard about it. Um, and I think fundamentally that, you know, researchers care, right? We care about doing a good job. We care about building things that help people. Um, we care about understanding systems and we care about understanding languages. Uh, and I think that that is uh, good and valuable and uh, should be, should be celebrated
0: that is awesome okay so if you were pointing someone in the direction of the world of nlp who are one to three people that you admire and look up to oh great question um she's a little bit
1: tangential to nlp but Abeba Berhane, um fantastic researcher uh, particularly if you're interested in questions about ethics i think she is one of you know the sharpest minds working in in the field today um other people (laughs) Yeah, I'm a huge fan of her. <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking I about like her many papers that are all very, yeah, very
0: good. No, we'll definitely make sure we have a link to her. Okay, and then exactly. and then finally, rank your number one cause or charity that you want to promote. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean
1: I think consumer and user oriented um, lobbying and research organizations in the data science, machine learning, AI field are great. Um, So the Algorithmic Justice League is one Um, data and society is another Um, the um, Center for democracy and technology I think is the the one I'm thinking of. so yeah basically anyone who's not a corporation <laughs> who is <laughs> lobbying and uh, you know agitating for for policy change around tech.
0: I love Rachel. Dr. Tabman, this this has been awesome. Um, for those of you who enjoy this, check out the YouTube channel. We'll have a link in the show notes as well as uh, Dr. Tabman has a newsletter, that tinyletter.com, which is RC Tabman. We'll have a link to that as well. If someone does want to find you online, like what's what's your social platform of choice for them to uh, to reach out and connect? Oh,
1: Twitter. Don't try LinkedIn. I will not, I will not answer. It's a graveyard. <laughs>
0: what's your handle on Twitter?
1: It is R C T A T M A N.
0: There you go. Thank you so much for joining me today at Rankable. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. My name is Garrett Sussman of iPoll Rank. Thank you again for listening. And uh, we will catch you next week. Peace out.